You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your returning host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two of the three regular panelists, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hi, everybody. Bruce is doing a zombie impression. Oh, zombies. I love zombies. That other voice was, of course, uh, freelance writer Tom Chick. Uh, hello, everyone. Can I get anyone a coffee? Our Bruce, it sounds like you could use a coffee. Bruce, I'm going to get you a coffee. Here you go. Do you, do you have a Coke? Mm, I don't do Coke. Sorry. Yeah. He's more of a meth guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You are so street, Troy. <laughs> you go straight to the drug references. Good Lord. I live in the nation's capital. It's to be expected. <laughs> uh, our other panelists, uh, last week's host, or at least... The intro guy, Julian Murdoch, can't be with us tonight. He's been felled uh, by a bug, and we wish him, of course, a quick recovery so he can join us uh, next week for the first podcast of 2010. Um, I want to thank the guys for doing an excellent job uh, last week on the religion topic. I had a lot of stuff I wanted to say, and you guys ended up saying almost all of it. Uh, <laughs> so you didn't need me at all, and I appreciate you filling in at was pretty much a last-minute thing. You knew what the topic was going to be, but uh, me bailing like that uh, for a family emergency was not quite expected, but you all did a great job uh, staying on topic, too, most of the time. I kept wanting to talk about zombie games, and they wouldn't let me. How could you let Julian spoil Assassin's Creed 2 like that? You know, I can't control Julian. I'm, I'm trying to invent, like, a Julian leash. <laughs> where if I can, I press a button and it'll shock him if he starts to say a spoiler or interrupt someone or something. And uh, I'm perfecting the radio transmitter part of it. Uh, so once I get that built, uh, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, I would have just edited that out. But of course, he was doing all the editing too. Julian did the editing and the uploading, and uh, he wouldn't have edited himself. Well, you know what they say about absolute power. That it it's makes you awesome. Ah, right, right, that too, right. <laughs> uh, so today I want to talk, this is the last podcast of 2009, the last podcast of this decade. I want to talk a bit about, well not a bit about, devote the podcast to uh, 2009 Strategy Gaming. Uh, on Tuesday I uploaded my annual uh, list of uh, highlights and lowlights for the year, and Tom on Crispy Gamer put up his year in real-time strategy games uh, column, feature, blog, something or other, uh, celebrating the variety. In yeah, Bruce, you, uh, what about your li- Didn't you do a, a list of great uh, iPhone games, Bruce? Because you play a lot of those iPhone games, I hear. That's true. <laughs> you guys are playing Unicorn Wars or something, right? We that are. Is- we are. Yes, Just Bruce like- loves it. It's it's really really really, I can't believe that game was sold to me as like in any way being good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would just like to point out, uh, and maybe we could, here here's the, it's it's revitalizing my interest in play by email. I'm I'm really okay. digging the way it works in with the iPhone, uh, and it makes Solium Infernum, which I still like. It just feels so clunky in Solium Infernum having actually move files around. Right. Uh, I love how streamlined Unimore is. Um, but, uh, Bruce, you still, I mean, you're, you're starting to figure out how to use the bugs to, to dig. I'm seeing you do tricky stealth stuff. So I know 
that even though you hate the game, you're you're starting to get it. So any day now, you might end up liking it. I, I just okay. want to leave you with that. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll keep we'll we'll keep looking out for that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Tom, let's start with your column on real time strategy games. If you were to pick a theme for 2009 RTSs. If someone was to come up to you in, from Time Magazine and say, okay, real-time strategy games, you get like 20 words, what's the theme of RTSs? You can grab it in a word or a concept. Right. What will be the state of real-time strategy games in 2009? So first of all, I would say to the guy from Time Magazine, what the heck are you thinking? You guys used to write smart stuff about video games. That's what I would say first. <laughs> uh, but then I would answer his question about what would be the theme of... of RTS is in 2009, and I would say the theme of RTS is in 2009 is cut the fat. Uh, there's been this ruthless streamlining of real-time strategy games, uh, which is alienating some people, and I miss a hearty economy. I mean, it's a big part of what can make a real-time strategy game compelling, and, and there's a, that's a lot of... Uh, sort of go with my metaphor, that's a lot of the meat sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, in cutting the fat, sometimes a lot of this meat gets lost, and a lot of people who like RTSs are feeling shut out. Uh, so, for good and bad, I think that's the theme. Uh, one of the things I noted in my column is I was thinking of what RTSs this year, and I have a list of I think I could come up with 17 significant RTSs that came out this year. Uh, and of those, I can only think of two of them that had peons, Traditionally, in an RTS, you recruit a villager and you send them out to gather gold. Mm-hmm. In my list, only two of those games had peons, and th- and that used to be a fixture. That used to be uh, one of the tenets of an RTS. Is and those 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 two would be uh, one is on uh, on the Nintendo Wii. It's a WiiWare downloadable game called Swords and Soldiers, right? Uh, and it's a side-scrolling game, and it's incredibly subversive. But it's otherwise, it's got all the tenets of a conventional RTS. It was one of the, the really bold uh, evolutions of the genre this year. And the other one is Chris Park's AI War, uh, where you... War or Wars? I forget if it's plural or something. War. War, okay. Uh, that also had more conventional resource gathering. Uh, so beyond those two, nobody, you know, it was a peonless year. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of, that's the theme for me, is, is cutting the fat, uh, making these games more streamlined. You and I are pretty much on the same page there. I noted, I said that simplicity was both the best and worst trend of 2009 strategy gaming for the very reasons you outlined so clearly that, uh, games are being streamlined. They're taking a lot of this, they're focusing on really simple, uh, very crystal clear mechanics and, uh, leading to, you know, a lot of, greater exposure for a lot of gamers to games that require advanced planning and strategic thinking. They're easier to get into, I think, than a lot of the great sprawling RTSs and turn-based games of the past. But you do lose something there. Um, Now, how do you see that, Troy, in uh, once we break out of talking about RTSs, how do you see that in strategy gaming uh, on a larger scale? Well... Really, there hasn't been a whole lot of strategy gaming, I think, in a larger scale. <laughs> That's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, we're kind of, you have, you know, the pseudo RTSs in, uh, of Empire Total War, which is still the big sprawling monster, uh, that it ever was. Uh, uh look at, uh, Demigod, which is probably one of the best, uh, RTSs of the year in its gladiatorial combat. Um, once again, quite simple and action-oriented. I'm trying to think uh, if there 
any games that really don't uh, that really don't qualify as an RTS. There weren't any great turn-based games uh, in the the war game world. Uh, things are once again moving towards. I'm not going to say simplicity, um, but I think there's a they're moving uh, more towards you know smaller units, smaller encounters. Um, for once again, for good or for ill. Uh, I haven't played as many war games as I wanted to this year, uh, but it's everything seems to be getting smaller, uh, except for very few companies out there that still push the big stuff. Um, you know, Paradox out there uh, still you know pushing vainly, I think, uh, for the large epic historical games and uh, creative. Minotaur, I would wonder: is it is it the matter of things getting smaller, mm-hmm. or I would I would propose it's a matter of Smaller projects being able to find their way into the marketplace, yeah, uh, and and there's definitely that streamlining, like you talk yep. about Demigod, and you can even see it in Dawn of War Two, which yep. is one of the year's bigger budget right. RTSs. Uh, but I think part of what we're seeing is the space is being crowded by smaller projects pushing their way into our awareness. Things like uh, gratuitous space battles or uh, Euphoria, right. which is an RTS that I really liked, which is incredibly simple. Uh, or Swords and Soldiers, you know, for the WiiWare, where it's simple because it has to be. Uh, yeah. on the Wii. That's, I mean, simplicity has in many ways been a result of the collapse of the AAA uh, strategy gaming business. A lot of the large publishers are not investing in it the way they were, so if you're going to go looking for strategy games, you generally are going to be looking at the smaller stuff. And uh, because the budgets are smaller, publishers are willing to, you know, give them, either they can be self-published or... Uh, Larger publishers are willing to take them along because the budgets are so small, and I think that's one of the great things about strategy gaming this year and the last few years is that we're seeing a lot more creativity uh, in mechanics, even if the settings are familiar, because uh, you don't have these large publishers and developers forcing company, forcing people to stick to the tried and true. And I think I haven't. I don't have. I need to get a Wii so I can try Sword and Soldiers. I've heard nothing but cute things about it. <laughs> That's you just did cute things. You you just are making fun of it. How dare you? I'm not is, making fun of. it. I like <laughs> cute. It is cute. Yes, it's it's got a very uh, Hello Kitty quality. Maybe. <laughs> oh really? No no no. Not, I'm, I'm not sure I can take Hello Kitty. It's not that bad, but it's definitely uh, tongue in cheek cute stuff. You know, like one of the. One of the races gets ninja monkeys, and they they do their little monkey routine as they work their way across the screen. Uh, ninja, you're definitely not going to be confusing it with, say, you know, Stormrise. Right. Oh God, Stormrise. So yeah, of the uh, of the 17 significant RTSs I came up with, uh, only one of them I I hated or I didn't like, and three of them I didn't play, and one of those was Stormrise just because yeah. I heard nothing good about that. Now you've got on your uh, blog a couple of uh, contenders that I wasn't familiar with for really bad games this year, Troy. Yeah, well, I think I, I forgot about Stormrise. That's the thing. I just, I just completely blocked it from my memory because that As, should have been my worst uh, strategy game of the year. I should have picked well, that. You're not the only one who forgot about it. Sega also forgot about it. <laughs> Sega abandoned it. Um, yeah. Didn't even patch it up properly. It was thrown out to the wilds. Uh, I was working on a review for it 
of it uh, for Game Shark. It was very low, late on the review. I couldn't motivate myself to play the game much. It was terrible. I wasn't getting very far. I, couldn't, I was getting completely confused by the interface. I was all set to write it, and then the news came down, oh, we're not supporting this anymore. Uh, so the editor, Bill Abner, said, screw it. They don't care. We don't care. Uh, we're not going to publish a review for a game that um, no one's really interested in and the company abandons. Um, so you didn't even play Stormrise? Good Lord, no. Well, I, di- I didn't get a copy of it, for one thing, but I heard nothing about it that made me want to play it. I even did, I think I interviewed the Creative Assembly folks. And I remember just throwing some kind of softball questions at them to yeah. give them room to sort of sell the gameplay features. And it even it seemed like their, even their hearts weren't in it uh, in terms of talking about it. Yeah, I saw that at E3 a couple of years ago, and I just had a bad feeling about it um, because of how... I mean, if all presentations are canned to some extent, but it was so canned to show off the tactical stuff you could do. I realized there's no way this is going to work. Yeah. Uh, so, what were some of your your lowlights? These these games that you mentioned that were bad that I well, was that I was that I managed to Bruce and I managed to dodge that bullet. Uh, well, I mean, the, the the worst game I picked is uh my choice was uh, Slytherin's uh, History: Great Battles Medieval. Uh, Slytherin is this great British company run by war gamers and they make you know generally average but interest or have made their name making average uh, but interesting um, historical strategy games uh, legion spartan chariots of war you know ancient themed stuff and generally quite well done with a one of these really original uh, war game engines where it's just fire and forget you set up your troops you plan your tactics and you let them go and see what happens a few years ago, they got into a, they got a contract with the History Channel, and the History Channel takes their games and puts a bunch of History Channel cutscenes in them, and they, they're pseudo educational and pseudo role playing, and they're generally terrible games. Um, there's really nothing interesting tactically or strategically going on. Uh, they're repetitive. A Great Battles Medieval is it's an ugly game. Um, the encounter you had. You can, unlike their traditional engine, it's not quite fire and forget. You can interrupt the battle, and you can do all kinds of things, but it uh, takes on this puzzle mechanic idea. There's like one or two ways to win. You have to set up your troops properly and go after the right troops, and it becomes more a puzzle game, like a real-time strategy campaign, than a real uh, war game. And if you're going to be fighting the Hundred Years' War, I want to be, you know, massing troops and moving in my direction, not just following this lockstep campaign and winning each battle by discovering what the trick is. And if I have to discover what the trick is in an historical war game, um, then I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm really not interested in this to uh, solve puzzles. So that was my pick for worst game because I forgot about Stormrise. <laughs> okay. I will probably sure edit that and say, I forgot Stormrise. Because it's certainly helped yeah. folks at Slytherin. Then, yeah. well, Slytherin did, did get uh, the best war game of the year, uh, Fields of Glory, um, which is based on the miniature tabletop game uh, they've developed with Osprey and a few others, and it's just a great, wonderful, simple, ancient war game, very traditional, a lot of fun. Um, the AI isn't great, but the multiplayer is outstanding, and. Uh, it's the editor is one of the best war game editor I've probably seen in a while. So I can I have so many ancient battles, order of battles, I can just set up my own stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna do Zama before the end of the year. I'm gonna build Zama. 
Now, when you talk about uh, streamlining in, in strategy gaming, is there any evidence of that in Fields of Glory, or is it old-school, uh, elaborate, complex gameplay? Um, lots of stream, more streamlining of the miniature system. It's a very... It's a very it's even the, the dominant miniature, ancient miniature system is the uh, DBM, uh, Debellus, Debellus uh, multi, Multitudinous or something, uh, miniatures rule set. And it can get pretty complicated in time. It's got a lot of different armies. One of the great attractions of the Field of Glory miniature set is how miniature rules, is how simple they are. Um, but still how they reflect a lot of the complexities of ancient warfare. Uh, that moves in very makes it a lot easier to appreciate. It's a lot simpler than, say, the great battles of history games from the early 90s, but that's a reflection of the tabletop rules, uh, not the game design itself. So it's my pick for best war game, and I am really looking forward to the more more battles as they come in. Uh, sometime last week, they released another new battle, and the editor is so good that a lot of players are doing uh, their own scenarios and uploading them. So it's uh, highly recommended to anybody interested in it. I'm, pl- I've, I'm playing a multiplayer game now with someone from quarter to three. He was foolish enough to take the slave army against my forces of uh, Marcus Licinius Cucrassus. So he's going to get destroyed. He just doesn't realize it yet. Why would you pick the slave army? That's a terrible choice. I'm not sure why he. Slave I'm army. not sure why he picked the slave army. He wanted to be Spartacus. Who doesn't ah, want to? Ah, okay, that makes sense actually. Okay. So that is uh, that was the best war game. Um, so before we get on, move on from worst war games, because Bruce, I know you've at least, I, I guess you could pick Unawar. But of the things that we have forced you to look at this year, I know there haven't been many. Mm-hmm. But what would you what would you pick, Bruce, as the worst thing you've had to? suffer through this year. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. There's probably a lot of choices. Um, if, you, if you have to go with Unawar, that's cool. That The one, the city game? Uh, Dawn of Discovery? No, we didn't make you... Oh, good oh. lord, Cities XL. Yeah, oh! That yeah. That's a good point. I forgot that for my uh, list, too. That, that kind of... I, I never feel like... Did that ever come out of beta? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, o- officially it did. Yeah, that was that was the worst one that you guys made me play. Yeah, I have to apologize for that one. Yeah, yeah. I feel awful. You didn't play a lot of Cities XL, though, did you? No, 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 God, no. <laughs> so what made it such a chore? I uh, just, just, well, first of all, I really don't like City Builders. And second of all, I mean, I don't even remember much about the game, except that it just was, it was awful, and I gave up. So it really it, was in a bad state when we looked at it, too. Yeah, it yeah. just didn't really work. None of it worked. It just, I don't know, it just seemed pointless, which it probably was. Yeah, the fo- the final release wasn't much better. Yeah. That makes um, me feel bad that we didn't force Bruce to try Dawn of Discovery, because I wonder yes. if that would have worked for him. Probably not, but at least it would have been a more polished game experience than Cities XL. Yeah, Dawn of Discovery is one of my great pleasures of the year, I think. Yeah. They did a great job. That made my top ten list at the end of the year, just because I don't recall a city builder ever being such an effective time sink as mm-hmm. a game design. Uh, you play a city builder, and a lot of them, you can get in. You can, you, you know, you advance your city, and it kind of plateaus at a certain point, and 
you run out of space. It's about maximizing space. But there are just so many different directions to go in Dawn of Discovery. It's so generous, and there's there it's it's on a huge map where you're not the only city. It's really it has this a very amazing sense of interaction with other cities and other cultures and civilizations. So it also plays like a trading game. And visually, it is such an incredible treat. I also did one of those Crispy Gamer articles on uh, the the year in, in graphics. And Dawn of Discovery, any game can look cool if it's dark and edgy and has shadows and looks gothic. But Dawn of Discovery is just so bright and sunny, and it yes. sparkles, and it's lovely. It's, uh, it's just a lovely game with a really great design. I mean, I'm just so pleased to see the Anno series come to this. Yeah, that's a very good point uh, about the color in the game. And I think that um, strategy games have <laughs> probably one of the few genres left where color is appreciated, um, where there isn't this push for Dark Knight, uh, darkness uh, <laughs> right. constantly where not everything has to be gloomy and oppressive and foreboding and Dawn of Discovery was just it was alive it was a I mean Cities XL's claim was you're a city on a world and you never really felt that where in Dawn of Discovery I did feel that I felt that this city was part of a kingdom uh, or a duchy or he was interacting with other cities and it was it had some issues, it dragged in bits, but the more I played it and the more I go back to it, the more it makes me want to go back and visit all of the other Anno games that I was kind of dismissive of, that I didn't really appreciate. I want to figure out if they just got something really right here, and finally I'm grokking it. Finally I know what they're trying to do here, or if they finally got it right. Yeah, I think it's a little of both. I mean, they've yeah. always had this idea that you're spread out across multiple yes. islands, and you have yeah. to integrate the islands, and... They just finally got. They finally worked that out really well. I think uh, it, it used to feel like you were forced to deal with multiple cities and mm-hmm. to play a colonization game when you really just wanted to grow a city. And I think they just found some great ways to finally get everything to click in Dawn of Discovery. Uh, so, and it's a great economic game too. It's a great trading game. Um, could have used a little bit clear documentation how everything fits together and the oh, size yeah. of buildings. But uh, once you understood that and you know what you were building towards, um, it, it's the great economic sim, I think, of the year, more so than um, East India Company or any other game I can think of this year, where you really had to track prices and supply chains and make sure you didn't run out of anything and who's buying what at the best price. And I loved it. I loved all that stuff. Um, and I, the developer is, once again, I want to give them credit. Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking the you. The developer is uh, some Germans. That's right, the Germans. <laughs> I, want to th- I want to thank Germany. <laughs> uh, Germany, your- shout out to Germany. Is it Blue Bite? Isn't it Blue that's Bite? Right. I don't know. That's right, it's Blue Bite. Okay, that's, that's my answer, and I'm sticking with it then. It's Blue thank Bite. you, Blue Bite, for uh, what I call, what I've... I, for this new awards, I give it my the, the surprise of the year. Uh, it wasn't a game I really expected to enjoy as much as I did, and it was a pleasure and a delight. And I hope to see more like it. Um, so my surprise of the year is also my favorite game of the year, and that's it? why it's a surprise to me because it was it was my favorite one. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that, and it's a real time strategy game. And it uh, is, yeah, my favorite game of the year. My you know I did my top ten list and. Yep. 
it happens kind of organically. You just, I start with a, over the course of the year, I have a file on my uh, computer that's like favorite games. And every now and then when I really like a game, I'll just open the file and type in the name of it. And then near the end of the year, I go back and I've got this long list of games and I sort of sift them a little bit and shake the document and some of them rise to the top and some sink to the bottom and it happens very organically. So by the time that I had finished massaging the list, the game that had risen to the top was a stealth RTS uh, called Brutal Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was also the surprise of the year because I had no idea that was going to be a real-time strategy game. And the real-time strategy gaming was only a, a part of it. Uh, it was the, the core of it, uh, and, and it was the entirety of the multiplayer. Um, but that, that was my surprise of the year. I said, hey, look at this. This is a real-time strategy game. I didn't expect that. A lot of people didn't expect that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and not just a real-time strategy game, but it was... As, as Julian and I had discussed, I think you were, uh, you couldn't be bothered to join us, Troy, because you hate Brutal Legend. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's a, uh, it's sacrifice, you know, the, yep. the RTS from what, 2000? Right. Reborn. Uh, so do you think that the fact that it was a real-time strategy had anything to do with the perceived failure of the game, or either critically or commercially? So I got the sense that a lot of reviewers and gamers felt there was a bait-and-switch going on. They were expecting this funny adventure action game, and then they found, no, it's not all that altogether. There's all this other stuff you have to do. Do you think that a, there's a connection there? I, I'm not ready to... T- is there really a perceived failure of that game? I don't really track, like, NPD numbers and stuff, yeah. so... Uh, I, I hate to think that that game isn't doing well. So maybe if I refuse to answer the question, yeah. I can deny that the game didn't do well. Is that going to work? You think? Yeah, I think you can do that. Because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure it didn't do well. Um, I'm, you get this feeling, this perception out there that Borderlands was something of a disappointment. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, but you know, you end up inhaling things in the internet. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 many people were confused about the design, and EA is partly to blame for that, and uh, that's just a, a marketing thing. EA's got a lot of marketing problems, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, it is, I mean, that that is a very real uh, problem for, for the game, is that uh, a lot of people aren't necessarily into real-time strategy games, and if you're not into real-time strategy games, that can be confounding mm-hmm. to play Brutal Legend and then discover, whoa, I've got to manage units you know, I just wanted to chop up uh, dudes with my axe and drive around in my cool uh, druid's plow and listen to Black Sabbath. Uh, and now I've got to play an RTS. So that, that's, yeah, that, that's, I, I acknowledge that that can be a problem for some people. For me, it was definitely an asset and not a liability. So what made it your game of the year? What made it my game of the year was, was partly that, that I, I love that it's a real-time strategy game. I especially love that it's a real-time strategy game that, that reminds me so much of Sacrifice. Uh, I love the setting. I, I thought Tim Schafer and the people who helped him with the characters did an amazing job of really living up to the narrative potential that video games have these days. Mm-hmm. There's a great story in there. Uh, it, it makes great use of music that I wasn't familiar with and that I am a little bit now. Uh, it's it's got a completely different type of sense of humor than than the usual. Uh, it's an incredibly imaginative world. You know, very few video games take me to places that I haven't been before, and I, right. I treasure that in a video game. So it did that. Uh, so all those things coming together just led to Brutal Legend as I was arranging my list, led to Brutal Legend rising to the, the top of the list for me. So there you go. A strategy game is your overall game of the year. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. Uh, 
Any other strategy games on that list? Oh, you know what? You would ask me that. I can't think of the list off that. Well, Donna Discovery, that was, uh, that, that made the top ten just because I loved what a, a time sink that was. Uh, now here's actually Solium Infernum. That also made it. Uh, here's a game that I noticed, uh, you, Troy, mm-hmm. did not, so you, you picked as your strategy game of the year, Dawn of War 2. And we'll yes, talk sir. about that in a minute. Yeah. Why did you pick that over The Sims 3? It was tough. Uh, Sims 3 was certainly on my list because I loved that game. I played quite a bit of it. But I think Dawn of War 2 is... I don't want to say it's more immersive because it certainly isn't. Or that (laughs) it's more compelling, uh, though it is that as well. Uh, It's... I said in my comments, it's... I think it just epitomized... I think it's Relic at its best. The campaign, I didn't really appreciate when I was playing it. But I've gone back to it. And I, I really love how they do their battle designs. Yeah, a lot of it is stage to stage, and it's not like most real-time strategy campaigns. It's not as strategic as it is about, okay, how do I get past the next obstacle? But there's some really unique and interesting challenges in there, and a very well-designed map, and I appreciated that. As a multiplayer game, I think it offers pretty much unparalleled variety uh, for a real-time strategy game this year, as far as different factions, different options, different tactics... Um, and I still haven't explored all of it. And I think that the balance is great. I think there are so many new things to learn in it, and I also think it's very approachable. I think it is an accessible RTS. I think it's an action-oriented RTS that doesn't sacrifice the strategic planning and the thinking. It is a game I keep going back to, and I keep playing skirmishes in, and I keep finding new things to love about it. Um, Dawn of War 2 is... A game that has made me fall in love with... I mean, I loved Company of Heroes, but not the expansions that came after. Dawn of War 2 has made me fall in love uh, with Relic again. You know, when I, when I hear you talk about that, Troy, yeah. it, it just occurs to me, that's the thing about these lists. Like, when you pick what your favorite game of the year is, mm-hmm. in a way it says more about you than the, than the games. These yeah. lists are intensely personal things, and it's why I always find it amusing when somebody takes issue with, with someone else's oh, yeah. list. But hearing you describe that, Troy, I was like, oh, well, you know what, that makes perfect sense. Troy is the kind of gamer who who really likes RTSs and what Relic has done. So mm-hmm. naturally, something like Sims 3, which you can appreciate, that doesn't appeal to you on the same level that Dawn of War appeals to you. So I, uh, I, so I love Sims 3. I mean, I've always been a big fan of the Sims games. Um, they are it's my favorite experience. I have lots of stories from my Sims experiences. I can remember, you know, when my Sim first got caught with his mistress by his wife and how they all got stuck at the poker table, which was bugged, but they were all sitting in their underwear, so it was cool with me. You were edgy. First you were talking about like cocaine and methamphetamines, and now you're cheating on your, your virtual wife, and you're just... But only my virtual wife. Uh, so it's, not, it's nothing against Sims 3, uh, which is, like I said, it's a wonderful, wonderful game, but it is... For some reason, Dawn of War 2 stuck with me more. And well, right, right. I mean, that, that says, like I was saying, that says more about you. That's, so so would, you would, have, would you have put Sims 3 on your list? Was it your well, favorite? Sims 3 made my top ten list, whereas Dawn of War 2 didn't. I ah. love both of them. Uh, but Sims 3, just as far as, again, it's, it's, what I, it's how games uh, are evolving. And I think Sims yep. 3 is just at the cutting edge of, how games have narrative and personality and, and widen the audience. Uh, so I appreciate what Sims 3 does. Personally, I appreciate what Sims 3 does more than I appreciate what Dawn of War 2 does. And I don't want to... It's 
you know, I can't know. They're doing it's apples and oranges in a way. But in this case, I prefer oranges. You prefer apples. Uh, so great. So Bruce, of the games we made you play this year, what was your favorite? <laughs> Unawar. Um, I really liked Lock and Load Heroes of Stalingrad. So it's not even it's not even finished yet. That doesn't count. Oh, oh that's the Mark Walker. That's the that's yeah. the guy that you guys beat up on. <laughs> uh, now that's that's right. That didn't come out this year. Was it supposed to? No. Well, it was okay. supposed to come out two years ago, just so everybody yeah. knows. But yeah, okay. it's not yet. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the the best game of the year, by far, hands down, is Salim Inferno. End of story. And that did make all three of our lists as yes. far as we talked about our, our favorite things. Uh, so what about Salim Inferno makes it the best for you, Bruce? Um, Besides the fact you keep beating us at it. He does not. This is other, this, by the way, we're in the middle of a game that... It, actually, I don't want to say anything because it'll tip my hand. Carry on. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so what, what's happening is we're we're in a game where I have like 150 million prestige points and Tom right, has so like two, but he's about to unveil some kind of amazing strategy. No, I'm not. No, I, I've lost this game. This game is over. I'm just basically waiting for one of you guys to win. I is have it, no strategy. There's, I, I can't do anything. His amazing game. strategy is what have been like his uh, amazing demigod strategy, which is going to get Vic Davis to play his turns for him. <laughs> There's a thought. Yeah. Uh, but, well, you know the game that we're in right now. Uh, maybe I should just say what my. I'm not going to. Uh, the game that we're in right now is, I think, going to be an example of just what makes the design so good. Uh, mm-hmm. And Bruce, you can talk about this, but I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy. Even though you guys might think I'm shut out of the game, and yeah, I am. The game's over. No, you're not shut out of the game because yeah. So you keep buying printers and all sorts of crap. Yeah, but that's just because there's nothing else to do with my turn, and I don't have anything to. Do with my right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing. Oh, yeah, that's nothing. I'm just moving pieces around, you know. Yeah, I'm sure, bored whatever, yeah. How you guys play? <laughs> uh, so, Bruce, sing your pay on to uh, Solomon Inferno. What makes it the best game of the year for you? Um, well, I mean, it's a game I actually want to play, unlike pretty much every other game. <laughs> so that, that that makes it my best game of the year. Um, I I think everybody. I think you've all. Uh, address that adequately in your various uh, lists. It's just, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't have much uh, to add. Well, here, and I th- you would agree with this, Bruce. Like here, uh, I mentioned Solium Infernum in uh, I, I, the so in the the article for Crispy Gamer I wrote on the year in graphics. I mentioned Dawn of uh, Dawn of Dawn of Discovery as an example of games using sunlight and using bright colors and uh, and how that's an achievement in graphics. Another achievement in graphics this year, I feel, was Solium Infernum. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the amazing artwork that Vic uses when you call up the info screen for a legion or an artifact or a relic uh, or a praetor, there's just some lovely, it's like card art in a CCG. Not just that, though, but the actual map. Uh, I love the stylized look of the map, and I would opt for that any day over something like the the fashionable busy 3D stuff that you get in the King's Bounty and Civilization 4 games. Uh, I love that stylized look and how it's really true to the subject matter. So I think Solium Infernum is also one of the year's uh, best achievements in graphics, oddly enough. I think hands down it is the best art of uh, 2009. 
I think it's kind of funny though that the, all the art was done for the uh, for the uh, zoom level that's never used. That's right. Yeah, you could you could look at the map more closely, <laughs> and you would never need to. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could say he, the Death Trip was Supreme Commander though too. I'm sorry. Well, that's true with Supreme Commander too. All the graphics is for a level you never use because you're always at the highest level. I think that the zoom will come in handy when they make the iPhone version. Exactly. Good point. We'll keep <laughs> waiting for that. Well, they can just make it. They can't. They just make an uh, like a, an expansion to, to Unowar that adds Solemn Inferno to it. Oh, like a Uno, a Solium Inferno mod for Uno. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would be down with that. Uh-huh. Troy, you, you don't have an iPhone, is that correct? I do not have an iPhone uh, or an iPod Touch. She, Tom, you don't have an iPhone either. I have an iPhone Touch or whatever you call it. Even, no, you don't have an iPhone. You, don't, not, you do not have an iPhone. I, what do, then what do I have? What is this thing that I'm playing Uniwar on? It's an iTouch or an iPod. It's an iPod, right? No, you can't actually. You can't telephone anybody on your iPhone, so therefore you don't have an iPhone. So it's an i. I don't know what you call it. It's an iTouch. What, they have a name for it. It's an iPhone without the phone. Uh, that's what I iPod. have. You have an iPod. And, yes. Is that really all they call it? It's just well, the iPod. iPod Touch, but yeah, it's an iPod. Oh, iPod Touch. I can't keep all this stuff straight. So I have an iPod that I use when I go running. It's much smaller. But then I have this thing that I keep calling an iPhone on which I play iPhone games. Yep. But which I guess is not an iPhone. So iPod Touch, is that what I should call it? Okay. Yep. So yeah, I guess I don't have an iPhone. Uh, so. But no, I do not have uh, one of those. And it is something that uh, we are looking into uh, as soon as the budget allows. Well, I would say that two of the notable strategy games of 2009 are indeed iPhone games. One what? is which, Uniwar. And, no! And, well, well, here's the deal with Unowar, Bruce. I know, I know you protest because it, it's simple. Uh, no, it no, I protest because it's terrible. Well, it's why, well, a bad game. Okay, no, well, I would say it's a simple game, but what makes it, what elevates it above its game mechanics is the seamless way that it incorporates play by email, which is traditionally a kind of a hassle. This isn't a hell. I mean, if something's terrible and it's so easy to play, I mean, I'm still not going to play it. Well, now you're using the word terrible. This makes sense. What do you mean it makes perfect sense? It's the cyborgs versus the space marines versus the If I had a game that was the world's easiest game to play, but it was super awful, I mean, would it it be good because it was easy to play? That doesn't make any sense. Play by email checkers. There you go. Yes. The answer is yes. Checkers sucks. Play by email checkers. I could see it. It's, It's better than normal checkers. If I could play checkers with you... Living across the country, I think that it would elevate the game above the simple mechanics of checkers. Yes. Okay, you're crazy. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, but, but, so I don't understand. Why is, why is Unowar a bad game? I haven't quite figured that out from you yet. I haven't played it, so I'm willing to be convinced by either of you. But what makes it a bad game? Or a terrible game? Because there's nothing interesting about it. I mean, there, there's that's I can totally understand that perspective because it is very simple, Troy. It's a very simple paper rock scissors balance uh, amongst units in a turn based hex game. Uh, you know, it does lip service to things like terrain values and, and resource gathering. You have to occupy bases, so there's that economic aspect. Um, it's advanced wars. 
it's it's really no different from Advance Wars except for the fact that it has three asymmetrical factions. Uh, and so I can completely understand why somebody who's into strategy gaming would think it's too simple or terrible. Um, but I'm really I, I really like the way that it plugs into social gaming uh, in a new way. You know, I, I can't stand that farm bill stuff and all those things on Facebook. I recently had to join Facebook for work, and I'm just so oh, so that's why I did. I thought because you wanted to join my sorority. <laughs> wow, you're in a sorority. I do, if you're in a sorority, yeah. No, there, there's a sorority game. I have to send you an invitation to it. Oh, good you're lord, no! Sor- don't even send me that. I'm going to delete that. See, that's what's flummoxing me. Is I get people send me gifts from Farmsville. It, like for instance, my my friend uh, has a, a young daughter, and she ha- she's on Facebook, and he you know he's careful with what she does, but he she sees I I know her, so she sees my profile through his profile. And she adds me as, as a friend, and that's great. And she'll send me a gift from Farmville. And I'm like, oh, that's very sweet. My friend's daughter sending me a Farmville gift. I, I want to accept that. So I click accept because I don't want to be mean. And it jumps me to something to install Farmville on my Facebook page. Like It, it assumes that by accepting, I'm going to start playing Farmville, which there is no way in hell is going to happen. <laughs> so so all this like Facebook stuff is totally flummoxing me. But I can appreciate what, by playing Uniwar, I can appreciate how... A game can serve as a as a very simple touchstone between two people who don't normally get to interact very often. Uh, so that that's the whole thing I think that's going on with Farmville, and I think that's the part of the appeal of Uniwar. You know, Bruce, you're so busy, but I love the idea that every now and then my iPhone or whatever the heck it's called sends me a little alert that says, "Hey, Bruce did a turn," and I can go and see what Bruce did. And it's 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 a weird social network social networking counterpart to sitting over a board game and it, it right. doesn't have any of the benefit of sitting over a board game i don't actually get to see you or or you know hear any anecdotes from you or tell you how barack obama is a great president we don't get any of that stuff but in lieu of that until we get that stuff i like seeing the fact that you're trying to sneak one of your buried bugs past my perimeter and then outing it and killing it yeah, but but it's so, why did why did those people make it? It's, it's so bad. It just why couldn't they have made another Battle of the Bulge game? <laughs> uh, World War Two is so two thousand eight. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, although so to all to all of you editors out there, this is a. Uh, Reminder of why some of you should get Tom versus Bruce going again. What, what, your, what our readers are missing by not seeing all this banter and love and brotherly uh, so that, uh, th- that is one of uh, I, uh, Uniwar is one of the two I think must-have games on the iPhone for strategy gamers this year. And the other one is a tower defense game called Defender Chronicles, uh, which is basically just a straight-up tower defense game. I'm not a huge fan of the genre. But what makes it really good and what makes it, I think, a must-have for iPhone strategy gamers is it builds this RPG shell around the tower defense game. Uh, And very much like Infinity Interactive did with Match 3s when they made their Puzzle of the Warlords games, Mm -hmm. this does the same thing they did for Match 3s. This does that for tower defense games. Uh, So that that, that also was one of my favorite... I don't... I don't think it was on my top ten list, but that was a definite must-have for uh, iPhone strategy gamers. Now, one thing you noted in your uh, RTS column for Crispy Gamer, Tom, was how there was this explosion of uh, Defense of the Ancients type games, this Dota thing. 
right, right. going on. And you also have you know the big tower defense games this year. A lot of them on consoles. We have Plants vs. Zombies. Is that another? Could we say that this is another example of the uh, streamlining and simplicity movement in strategy gaming, or is that something else that's going on? Well, some of those are pretty complex. Like yeah. Some of those Plants vs. Zombies gets a little crazy by the time it's over. It starts out. It's got. It does that pop cap thing of being very accessible at first, but you get a lot of moving parts by the time that game is over. Uh, so I, I don't know that I would call that. I, I would almost call that Troy a an offshoot of real time strategy games that has its own kind of audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, tower defense games. Um, but yeah, this year was really big for those, and I can't believe I forgot Plants vs Zombies. Uh, yeah. What about the Orc King Barug has slain the Human King Lord Mark? The Kingdom of Athelia has descended into chaos. Are you just, are you reading like chat from your, is that your World of Warcraft character? What the heck was that? I just read you the entire backstory from the game Defender Chronicles. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you do such a thing to me? When you start a mission in Defender Chronicles, there is a long, they read, I don't, I think the game was made by Russians or something, but they cram so much like backstory and and somebody, they hired somebody to read it out loud. Oh God. Uh, and there's a whole screen, like it's it's multiple screens. You have to page down through multiple screens about the backstory. Uh, it, fortunately, you just hit continue and you jump past that. But the guys who made Defender Chronicles, they fancy themselves fantasy writers, uh, and maybe they're great. I don't read that stuff. I don't. I don't know. They they could be awesome for all I know. Hearing what you just now read, Bruce, that's that's great stuff. I, I want to know more about that. So I, I just want to know if you guys have played the, uh, you know, the games about the Spanish Civil War and the games about the invasion of Afghanistan in 1979 and the games about Dien Bien Phu that all came out this year. Ah, I am guessing you're going to tell us about some really cool board games. No. There's a Russian-made Russian RTS that I have not played about... Stalin a, versus Martians. That no, one. no, Is not that, that one. No, it's about a Russian group in Afghanistan, a Russian military... Group that fights off, you know, it's the Russian Thermopylae or something. Mm. Uh, I forget Wait, what it's called. Game? No, it's a it's an RTS. What? A Russian-made oh, yeah. RTS. It's available on Steam. I forget what it's called. Uh, are you going to help me out here? Is that the one you're thinking of, uh, Bruce? Yes. That's not the one I was thinking of. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, I actually only saw that when uh, you uh, made reference to it on Flash of Field. But it, absolutely. Okay. Um, oh, well, tell me more. I want to hear about these. I'm. I haven't played it. It looks, it's apparently a big hit in Russia because it shows, you know, the Russians as heroes and it's because it's their Rambo, I suppose. They go back and they win it this time because the player's in control. <laughs> um, so it's a, but it's an RTS you're saying, Troy? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, and I think it's an RTS. I'm pretty sure it's an RTS. Uh, I'm looking for the name here now. Uh, well, Bruce, look- Bruce what are, while I'm looking for that, Bruce, what are you talking about? Yeah, what are those three games? I want to play those. So I actually, I'm actually cheating a little bit because those are actually squad battle teams. Oh, the yep. HPS games, right? HPS, yeah. I have the not HPS. played those. Have you? No, of course not. How could I have one? Um, so there's a squad battle Spanish Civil War. Yes. And there's a squad battles Dien Bien Phu. And uh, I noticed there's a squad battles Soviet Afghan War. So those have all been released. 
uh, by HPS. They're all John Tiller games. They're all in the Squad Battle series that uh, started off with the uh, uh, Squad Battles Vietnam mm-hmm. uh, game. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm waiting for somebody to tell me if uh, they're any good, especially especially the uh, Soviet Afghan War uh, Squad Battles game, which. Uh, I assume it would be kind of interesting. I'm looking at this thing here where it has a whole bunch of uh, looks like Soviet tanks uh, and a whole bunch of uh, I don't know what these things are. Sort of some sort of IEDs. So these are yeah. tactical level games. They're played at a like one unit is one tank. Yeah, that kind of thing. Sure. Oh, hex based uh, HPS traditional war games. I have not played a squad battles game in a while. Um, oh, I guess that, yeah, they're, they're called Squad Battles. That's the level right there. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. And so, are these free downloads, or are they, is it downloaded? Oh, oh, no, sir, they're $50 each. They're how much? 50, 50 bucks. 15 <laughs> <laughs> No. So he's selling these things as completely separate games for the Squad Battles series. Wow. Yep. Yeah, $50. And a Dien Bien Phu one, wow. Though you yeah. can get them uh, at... The Naval War Store, uh, NWS, generally for forty, or sometimes thirty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The, I love that stuff like that is still being made. That's God bless John Teller. That's awesome. Uh, okay, the RTS Ninth Company Roots of Terror. <laughs> that's a terrible name. <laughs> Developer Noviv Disc Lesta Studios, published by Strategy First. So you know it's got to be good. Oh, okay. Ninth, it, Co- Ninth Company Roots of Terror is an action-oriented RTS based on actual events that took place during the Soviet military campaign in Afghanistan. The story of a ragged band of young recruits undergoing brutal training in Uzbekistan's Fergana Valley and culminates in a bloody stand against the Mujahideen on a nameless mountaintop in Afghanistan. It's the Battle of Thermopylae all over again. One Russian fighter against ten Afghanis! Exclamation point. You know, I like... Okay, at first, my first reaction to Roots of Terror was that it's terrible because it sounds like a, a horror movie about killer plants. Uh, but, <laughs> but when you put it that way, like, leading up to the situation with Afghanistan and the Taliban and, and Russia and Afghanistan and what, the, the vacuum left when they withdrew, I'm like, okay, I like that title. So I would like to take back the ridicule I extended towards the title. It is now available on Steam for nine ninety nine, And it's an RTS. It's a straight-up RTS? Yeah, uh, yep. I, I actually may buy that. I may as well. I am actually... Well, what, for nine ninety nine. Um, I'm actually tempted to give that a shot. And why don't you two throw yourselves on that particular grenade? I'll be curious how that goes. We can talk I about actually, it next week. Okay. Uh, I actually did play a rendition of the Spanish Civil War this year. You guys know what I'm talking about? A little trick question. This will be a good segue, by the way. You were in some Orwell dinner theater. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Poima Community Theater production of a musical based on the Spanish Civil War. No, uh, in my traditional way of easing myself into the Hearts of Iron games is okay. to play the Spanish Civil War, which is a, sort of a, a way to get a, a look at... The, the game mechanics on a more limited scale where you're not dealing with like the, the Eastern Front. Uh, so uh, we, we did have two... Uh, well, well, I, if, well, I was going to say we had two major releases from the Paradox guys this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Hearts of Iron 3, but then I'm, I'm also kind of thinking of Heir to the Throne as a major release. 
the, the expansion for Europa Universalis too. Right, three. which I'm finally giving a really serious playthrough today. Um, as last night, I started on a campaign as uh, the British, and I'm having a lot of fun with the new um, Casus Belli system. Yeah, and that that is one of many things in Heir to the Throne that I think is a really significant bit of work. Uh, that you look at it as a bullet point, and you think, okay, it's a minor change. But then there's another bullet point like that that you think, okay, that's a minor change. But all these minor changes coming together, and some of which are more minor than others, they really do, I, I, for me at least, breathe new life into Europa Universalis III. So I really like what they've done with Heir to the Throne. I don't think it's as great an expansion as Innomine was, uh, but I really like uh, what they've done with it. Right. Now I because So I had to go back and... and Relearn the in nominee and Napoleon's ambition stuff. All that stuff runs together for me. Yeah. What Troy made now was in nominee last year or this year? It was in, it was last year. Okay. And that was where they introduced uh, well, the big things uh, were they changed the uh, religious the toleration system where it's now fixed values, so you couldn't manipulate the sliders, so that you were always happy, um, and changed tweaked some of the national ideas to so make them more focused on okay, if you want to be humanist ah. tolerant. Uh, you're going to be fighting against this trend of right. uh, intolerance. And also, um, they add a c- colonial growth. Colonial growth where they grow at a constant rate depending on how much you fund it. Where you fund missionaries and you fund colonists. And that it used to be that, just sending one colonist at a time? Like it used they, to be that yeah, they, they, they grew, uh, but it wasn't tied to your budget. Okay. Oh, the uh, sliders. The missionary and colonial growth sliders. Yeah. yeah. I see. Right, right. Those... Um, so those add, add constant constant sinks to colonize to both colonization and uh, missionary expansion, right. and I think those were great. And a few other uh, things that did with some of the national ideas, um, making centralization always the best move. I think it was a very gutsy thing for them to do in a nominee, mm-hmm. saying you want to centralize. You don't want to have a decentralized country. That's not what this period was about. Right. Um, so I think it, that was a better expansion. But I really love Heir to the Throne so far. And yeah, I think I think you could consider it a major release, even though it's a uh, an expansion. And then of course we had uh, East India Company, which I haven't touched since the patches. And I wonder yeah, I haven't an either. expansion. And I wonder if it's better than if it got better. And I feel bad for having not tried it because I I was kind of championing what they were trying to do. Uh, you liked it more than I did. Right. Exactly. And and so I I, I feel like I wanted see how much closer they've gotten to actually doing what they were trying to do. And, mm-hmm. and it sounds like they have definitely addressed some of the issues that that we, amongst others, raised about the game. So I think that's going to be one of my uh, New Year's resolutions, and that's to go back and visit games that have been patched and updated uh, since I said bad things about them <laughs> and uh, see if they've gotten better. Uh, n- not Stormrise. Not Stormrise, yeah, we can. We can if Sega's going to abandon it, we are too. Uh, now, I noticed, Troy and Bruce, you haven't mentioned, I think, one of the really big new strategy titles this year. You certainly can't click on a web browser without running into this thing. Uh, has either of you played Evoni? <laughs> no, I have not played Evoni, uh, Evoni or, or Sivoni, as it was known. Played what? Evoni? Come on, Bruce. I don't know what. <laughs> what are you yeah, talking about? Bruce, you need to you need to visit the World Wide Web more often. So Evoni is a, it, you know what? Is it a it's it's a micropayment game, right? Is that their whole deal? Like I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's a free to play browser based yeah. civilization building type game with micropayments. 
like the yeah. Travians uh, out and the Icariums out there, only more civish, I guess. But no, I haven't played it. And we could all play it and probably, I don't know, trade you know, wine or whatnot with each other. Isn't that how it works? I, I have yeah. no idea how this one works. But the the the, the uh, point of Ivoni, I think what makes it notable is that they bought all these soft core porn ad kind of things that feature pairs of breasts, uh, which don't actually appear in the game. They're just designed to get you to click on the ad and then to join the game and start playing. So I think we should do a uh, three moves ahead on Ivoni. Oh, that would be so funny. Well, you know, Troy, actually, so here I do on uh, on Fidget, the, the game site that I run for the Sci-Fi channel, I do a series called Game Diaries, where I'll just play, play a game and then every now and then write an entry about it and sort of And we've linked to many of them on Flash or Steel. So I honestly sat down one day thinking that I was going to do a series of Game Diaries on Ivoni. And I sat down and I started building my city and it... You know, then it starts asking you for money, and you start seeing the, the the game model here. It's based entirely on forcing you to log in regularly and badgering you to to buy stuff. Uh, and I just I couldn't stick with it. I was just I I cannot subject myself to this. There are too many games that I genuinely like and want to write about uh, that I'm not going to spend time making fun of this piece of junk. Uh, so, so was there a game design? No, no, it's just, uh, I mean, you know, it's a city builder. You build different kinds of buildings, and you see your little plot of the city. I imagine it's the same kind of thing as Farmville. Uh, well, you'll know it's the same kind of thing as Farmville until I get you playing Farmville. <laughs> I'm not going to play Farmville. But please, you know, send me gifts, and I will, uh, I don't know what happens when you don't accept a gift. I'll you don't get it. I, yeah, you don't get it. Uh, Which is sad. Yep. I'm sure your friend's daughter would have loved to have sent you that pony. Well, I felt bad, too. Like, if one of you guys sends me a gift and I ignore it, I couldn't care less. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, she's, uh, you know, she's eight years old. I have pictures that she's drawn for me on my refrigerator. And I, I hope, like, I'm in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, is she getting a message that, hey, Tom Chick wants nothing to do with your stupid gift? Like, does the game go that far as to, like, tell her that I didn't accept her gift? And uh, so, no, I don't I'm, I'm being guilted into playing Farmville. Now, the, you'll, you never know if someone rejects your gift. Oh, good. Okay. In that case. Good. Yeah. So there you have it. So send me <sighs> gifts from Farmville, Bruce. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> All right. So that was the final episode of 2009. Uh, next week, not sure what we're going to talk about. It's really too early to do a looking forward uh, in the year thing, because we have no idea what's going to be coming out. So we have no topics set for next week, or for the week after that. Uh, but coming up in the middle of the month, we have a very special episode we're in the middle of planning for right now, and it's something I've been wanting to do for a while, but I finally got a group together willing to help me with it, and Tom's excited about it. Bruce is excited about it. You can just feel the excitement. Um, you say a very special episode, Troy. That makes it sound like one of us gets pregnant. Well, that's the mystery. Don't spoil it. I'm not. I'm just saying, a very special episode. That's like, And it's uh, Julian. That's why he's not here. <laughs> Congratulations, Julian. Great. Uh, so, wishing, hoping you all had a very nice holiday and wishing you all the best as we move into 2010. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and say goodbye, guys. 
Goodbye, everyone. Yeah, I did.